Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men that, who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God. For you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. 
For this reason you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your, hand, for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant in his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever by saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing may the house of your servant be blessed forever. You know, every good story has its climactic moment. The big moment you've all been waiting for. The moment that makes the whole story worthwhile. There's a rescue. There's a reunification when people get back together. Or if it's a really good story, there's an explosion of some sort. Or a battle. That's when you know you've really arrived when the climax is something goes boom. While the Bible as a whole is one story, it has two parts, the Old and the New Testaments. And what we have here today, many scholars agree, is the climax of the history of the Old Testament. Everything before this moment has led up to this. And everything after this moment is going to build on this. This is what it has all been leading to. And actually, if you want to know the truth, this chapter is why I wanted to preach on Samuel. I've been waiting the whole time to get here. This is the big one. This is the big one. Well, what is it? What is so huge about this moment? Well, the first thing we see in this moment is that God has established His covenant of salvation. See, if we look, what we're seeing here is a very familiar pattern. A man is faithful to God, and as a result, he receives a promise from the Lord. A man is faithful to God, in this case David, and as a result, he receives promises from God regarding various things. Now, the first thing is promises about David himself, but these promises go farther than David. Do you notice? God says, I'm going to do all this for you, and I will settle my people Israel in their land, give them rest, no one will disturb them. Why, Why is Israel suddenly here? 
If David has been faithful, if David is the one seeking the glory of God, why Israel? Something's happening. Something very special is happening. Indeed, these promises go beyond Israel, but include the promise of one who is to come. An offspring is coming. We've seen this pattern before in Adam, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Adam, after the fall, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and he will bruise his heel. Noah, I will establish the earth certainly until the end of time, ensuring there would be order and no interruption to the promises of God. Abraham, in your seed, Abraham, all peoples of the earth will be blessed and I will give your people a land. Moses, I am giving you the land at this moment. And the Lord God will raise up a prophet like me from among your people, always pointing forward. Someone is coming. Someone is coming to bless the people. It's gotten narrower and narrower and narrower over the years. First it was somebody, the seed of the woman. Then somebody, the descendant of Abraham and seed of the woman. Then someone, the descendant of Jacob, the seed of the woman. The descendant of Judah, the seed of the woman. It keeps moving forward. What this is, is it's not merely a promise of blessing for an individual. This isn't God saying to David, Gee, David, you did a really good job. I think I'll give you good things. This is God's covenant of grace. This is God's promise of salvation. David is the newest and the final link in the covenant chain leading to the one. Abraham was given the covenant. Isaac was the heir to the covenant, but not Esau. Or not Ishmael. Jacob was the heir to the covenant, not Esau. All twelve tribes inherited the covenant, but the tribe of Judah was selected as the royal tribe, not the other eleven. And there were no more individual heirs. The whole tribe of Judah waited. Now David has been raised up, put on the throne, and God comes to him and says, Do you remember the covenant I made with Abraham, my servant? That his seed would bless the whole world? You're the heir, David. You. You. Inherit. You get the covenant. I haven't raised up a patriarch since Jacob. I haven't selected a family line since Judah. But you, David, congratulations. The covenant of salvation, the covenant of grace, it's going to come through 
your line, David. It's you who are going to be the father of the one. God promises that this covenant is as permanent as all those that have gone before. God acknowledges, look, your son is not going to be perfect. Solomon was not perfect. None of the kings to come was going to be perfect. But God says, you need to understand something, David. You can't mess this up. I'm not giving this to you because you're good enough. You're not. And your sons aren't going to keep it because they're good enough. They're not. But just as I pass through those cut up animals with Abraham alone, promising to uphold the covenant and take the penalty upon myself. So, David, your sons, if they do wrong, I will discipline them. But I will never, ever, ever, ever revoke this covenant. You can't lose it. You are the new heir. What we are reading is essentially the gospel. It is the good news that God will accomplish his redemption through the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Judah, the seed of David. Now, some people might go, now, preacher, that's a little bit strong to call this the gospel. We're in the Old Testament, Luke 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I got news for you. While Jesus was still on earth, they hadn't written a single page of the New Testament yet. So Jesus could say, I am preaching the gospel, and it's true, what he preached was especially the gospel, but the gospel is all over the Old Testament. We can preach the Old Testament with confidence, and not only can we preach Jesus from the Old Testament, we should preach Jesus from the Old Testament. And if we are reading and preaching the Old Testament and not pointing to Jesus, we have missed the point. Because when Jesus read the Old Testament, he found himself all over the place. That makes sense because he wrote the Old Testament and he put himself all over the place. It's his word. The covenant given to David, continues the focus on the one to come as the eternal king who will establish God's kingdom on earth forever. This idea of kingship began with Judah. It was mentioned in the prophecy given to Balaam. This idea of a scepter, one who will rise with might and power to wipe out the enemies of God. And now God continues that theme and says, David... The one to come is going to sit on a throne. Specifically, David, your throne. There is no higher honor a mere mortal can have than to be associated with Christ. And that honor was given to David the king. It also announces that this king will build a house for God. And while Solomon fulfilled this in one sense, the final fulfillment of the one building the house of God came much later 
when the one promised by the covenant came, because, of course, as we've already looked at, God's covenant of salvation is fulfilled in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Christ, the one chosen by God from all of eternity to accomplish the redemption of his people. Luke 9.35, then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. We have to understand when we read the Old Testament, we are not reading Jesus backwards into it. Jesus is already there because Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has always been the one chosen by God. And of course, what do you call one who is chosen and anointed of God to a role in Hebrew? Mashiach, Messiah. What do you call him in Greek? Christos, Christ. Jesus has always been the Christ. He has always been the chosen one. That's why the Bible refers to him, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. It was always the plan of God that this would be. He is the one chosen to rule over God's people, and indeed to rule over all the earth. Revelation 19.16, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We mentioned in Sunday school what do parents work for? What is the ultimate goal of every parent? Children your kids. You're not working to build a better life for yourself. You're not working to make things better for yourself. Once you become a parent, you're working for your kids. They become your goal. And think about it. How much money do we spend on our kids? How much time do we spend on our kids? You become cook, bottle washer, chauffeur, They want to go to camp, you pay for camp. They want to play sports, you pay for the sports and the shoes and the uniforms. They got to go to school, you got to buy the backpacks and all that. You want stuff for your kids. Where does that drive come from? It comes from God the Father who has a son. And yes, God the Father wants to be glorified. He's God, but he's saying it's not enough that you glorify me. Glorify my kid. How do I get people to glorify my kid? I know, I'll make him the king of everything. I'll put him on the throne. I'll give him the majesty and him the glory. And he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. And every ruler established on the earth will bow before him. Then they'll worship him. Because I want people to see my son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has established the kingdom of God on earth, and he reigns over all. We need to understand when we read this prophecy, this promise, this covenant, our eyes focus on revelation. And yes, it's true, the final fulfillment will come in that day, but do not overlook 
that the kingdom of God is not just future, it is here today. Matthew 12, 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We believe this book, don't we? We believe there are angels and there are demons, right? And we believe that demons sometimes possess people, right? And we believe that Jesus cast out demons and his followers cast out demons. And let's face it, sometimes today his followers still cast out demons. Don't laugh. One of my professors two weeks into his ministry had to do an exorcism. You can see me after for that story. He was ready to tell them all why demon possession didn't happen today. Then five minutes into meeting the guy, he was like, I'm going to have to cast a demon out of this man. If you believe that the Spirit of God has given Christ that power and his followers that power, then you need to understand what Jesus was saying is that means the kingdom of God is not just coming, it is here. Satan's reign has been broken. The kingdoms of this world... Well, I'm going to quote that verse later, so I'll stop. It's from Handel's Messiah, and it's actually from the Bible, and I just love that verse, so I jump ahead to it. But this is our Father's world. And this is the Christ's world. And the prince of the power of darkness no longer has sway. He has sway over the lost. But even that has been shortened. His leash has been pulled taut. The times of darkness are being rolled back by the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This kingdom will never end, but will last forever. Revelation eleven fifteen. here it is. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Why is politics so unsatisfying? Not only because it's imperfect, but because it doesn't last. You elect someone in the House of Representatives that you think is going to fix the whole Congress. How long is their term? Two years. You elect someone to the Senate, you think they're going to fix the whole Congress. How long is their term? Six years. You elect a president you think is going to fix the whole country. Four years, maximum eight. And then you've got to pick another one. And what you gain under one can be lost under the next, and what you lose under one can be regained under the next, and back and forth. Christ is perfect. Christ is wise. Christ is good. Christ is loving. And Christ has no term limit. He is the king who is not going to die. He is established on the throne of his father David and his father God forever and ever and ever. Amen. And it is he who has built a house for God that will stand forever by pouring out his spirit on us. 2 Corinthians 6.16 For we are the temple of the living God. 
Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How wonderful it was in 1 Kings chapter 8, when King Solomon knelt in front of the temple and spread out his hands and prayed that invocation, Lord, come dwell in this house. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, but put your name here. And the glory of God so filled that temple that the priests couldn't even go into it. They had to do all the sacrificing in the courtyard that day. They couldn't even use the brand new altar. They had to sanctify the ground around it because God was saying, I'm so happy you can't even get close. This is mine. Y'all stay back a bit. Give me some time with it. You can come in tomorrow. That house was never as holy as you are. Do you understand that? Because God's glory was in that house and then he took it away. That was temporary, conditional. God has poured out his very spirit in you. He has not just manifested his glory in you. He personally, by his spirit, lives in you and he is never going to leave. If you are God's, you are a temple. You are part of the grand temple and you are holy. God is not confined to any building on this earth. You don't have to go into a church to pray because this building is not the house of God. This building is the house of the house of God. It is where the house of God gathers to worship. God lives within us. How much greater a blessing that is than anything Solomon ever accomplished. That we should become the house of God built by the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it goes even farther because in a very true sense, Jesus is our temple. Because in him, God dwells among men as a man forever it is in the person of Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, that God and man have come together. Revelation 21, 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. In Christ, God has restored the fellowship with Him and the order of His creation that we lost in the fall. When we turned away from God through our sin, we no longer could walk with God in the garden. And the order God established in creation was marred. But now in Christ, the Spirit not only walks with us, He lives in us. And God's kingdom is re-establishing order. Christ's body is already glorified. He already is what creation ought to be. 
Even the world has a down payment in Jesus Christ because what is the glorified body of Christ made of? Does anyone know? Want to take a wild guess? Dirt. Dirt. I'm talking about his personal body, not his spiritual body. Dirt. He was born of a woman, right? And what are we all made of? Clay. By the way, in Hebrew, Adam means dirt, clay, or red. And I always said, well, that means the Garden of Eden must have been in North Carolina because we got red clay for days. When Jesus' body was glorified, a little portion of this world was made right. And that means when Jesus comes back, this whole world will be made right, cleansed with that purifying, dissolving fire Peter speaks of, the elements being melted. But what do you do once something is melted? You can recast it. Renew it. Put it back. There's already that foretaste for everything. Christ, by His life and His sacrificial death, has brought God's kingdom among us. He won the victory over sin and death by living that perfect life of service which has earned the eternal merit of God for all His people. And He paid the price for our sin on the cross so that there is no obstacle to the eternal blessing of God. You need to understand this. God loves His people. He loves all those who believe. And now that Jesus has died on the cross, there is nothing holding God back from loving you as much as He desires. You may say, but pastor, we live in a fallen world and I still suffer. Why doesn't he just establish his kingdom and get it over with? Do you want to know? Do you want to know the answer? I'll tell you. You remember the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, to put it in modern English? Why didn't the farmer just go ahead and uproot all the weeds? It would hurt the wheat. The only thing holding God back from establishing his kingdom right now is there are people that he loves and he has chosen who have not yet come into his kingdom. And until every last one of his children is ready, he is not ending anything. The only thing holding back the love of God is the love of God. But when all his children are ripe, when all his people are brought in, when the harvest is ready, with not one left behind, then the harvest will come. And Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes and take away every grief out of our hearts. No more pain, no more worry. Just love, peace, and praise. Well, how do we receive Jesus in a place in this kingdom? God's covenant of salvation is received by faith. We see that in David's prayer. 
Faith is trust that God's promises are true and that they have been given to us. We take our stand on God's word and plead his promises for our blessing. I love David's prayer because he's like, look, um, this is really big. And I know me and you know me. And I don't really deserve this. But your prophet Nathan told me this, God, and I know it's from you. So I'm going to come and I'm telling you, God, you gave me this covenant promise. I'm cashing the check. Uh, you know, I've got it and I'm telling you, Lord, since you've promised it, give it. You, you told me I'll have an eternal kingdom. Give me an eternal kingdom. Make my descendant reign forever. Give me these things. Lord, you've told me, therefore I have the courage to pray this. David is saying, Lord, I know I would never be able to pray for such a thing if you hadn't given it to begin with. But you have, and I take my stand on that. That's faith. Faith is when you take the promises of God that you're like, whoa, if God had not said that, I would have no right to ask for it. But you take it to God and say, you said I can have this. And I'm taking you at your word and saying, I want it. You said in Jesus, I can have forgiveness. I want it. You said in Jesus, I can have eternal life. I want it. You said you, you've given me Jesus if I believe. Well, I believe I want Jesus. That's a bold prayer. And do you know what God says to a prayer like that? Take it. Take it. It's all yours. I did give you a covenant. Written. Sealed in the blood of Christ. And if you plead it before me, it is yours. Everything in it is yours. I wrote the check. Feel free to cash it anytime. All you must do is believe, and indeed, it is yours. Faith acknowledges our total dependence on God and His grace. David knew, as we've already mentioned, we haven't earned what we receive. We receive it only by trusting in God and His word to us. We don't come to God saying, look how good I am, look how well I've served you, because we have fallen short. Trust me, we'll get to David's shortcomings in just a bit. We know our imperfections, but we come saying, Lord, you know me, you know my sins, but you've promised this anyway. My faith is not in my worthiness. My faith is in your promise and the one who has fulfilled that promise, your son, Jesus Christ. He is worthy and therefore, by trusting him, I can receive. That humbles us. There is no place for pride in Christianity. Because nothing has to do with you. It all has to do with Jesus. When we receive God's blessing by faith, we marvel at his love. I love this picture. David went in and sat before the Lord. 
I don't know if I'm reading too much into this. I didn't research this. Maybe I shouldn't mention it at all. But if he went into the tent, I don't know that there were chairs in there. Picture I get is maybe he just sat down on the ground. And I admit this is me speculating, but this prayer is the prayer of an overwhelmed man in a good way. This is big. I almost see him just going in and sitting on the ground before God, struggling to comprehend how big this promise is. And he starts to pray saying, Lord, you gave it. I'll take it. And he begins to praise. You are great, O God. There is no one like you. Because you have declared these things. You have the power to work these things. You brought us out of Egypt. You settled us in the land. And you can take a shepherd boy like me. And make him heir to the covenant of salvation. Father of the seed that is to come. Only you, God, could do something like that. To take a nobody. He wasn't just a shepherd boy, he was the youngest of the shepherd boys. And now not only is he the king, he's the father of the Messiah to come. That causes David to marvel. And the fact that we have been accepted in the Messiah, if we believe in Him, that should cause us to marvel that God looks at you and sees not you, but Jesus His Son, His righteousness, His blood covering your sins. That should make us wonder and fill us with awe and praise. Have you received Christ by faith? He, His blessings, His salvation can be yours today. Even now, if you trust in Him. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the Gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.